0: Well, welcome to another episode of the Grazing Sheep Podcast. I'm your host, Big Tom Perkins, along with Dr. Cameron Meyerley. And we thought maybe today we'd just continue our discussion with uh, grazing, getting those sheep out on grass. And then last week I said uh, that what I do would be considered adaptive grazing. And uh, so we adapted to not put sheep out just quite yet
1: because the weather just got pretty crappy yeah I know where those users are at there in in central Ohio we were moving some fence and rain was coming down pretty hard and they were shaking to get to get dry and you felt a little bad because I knew how how cold it was gonna be um, so I guess on that point you know in terms of those daily moves do you offer anything for shade or with your new paddock uh, development or, or design? Do you have any permanent or or temporary ideas for shade in those daily moves?
0: Well, we don't have many trees. Um, All the trees were taken off this farm years ago. So we've been using just old flatbed hay wagons. And uh, just kind of watching it sails. And I've got one wagon that kind of crabs a little sideways when you pull it. And uh, the sheep don't seem to mind at all with that and uh like i said we'll hook a couple of those together when we've got a you know a bigger flock but that's pretty much all we use and i noticed uh oh last summer we had a couple of weeks there it was fairly hot for our area and the sun just beating down and most of those ewes would be crammed up under that wagon and then just throughout the day 10 or 15 would come out and graze for a while, and then they'd come back under. Some more would go out and graze for a while, then they'd come back under. And it does, it seems like if they could get their heads under, they're pretty happy. They don't have to get their their whole body under.
1: Yeah, I had a discussion with a gentleman, this was a couple years ago, down in New Mexico. Um, Obviously, quite a bit warmer environment than what we deal with in this Mm -hmm. part of the world. But, you know, he had asked, like how much shade do you need for a for a group of 100 ewes and it's like uh, i i didn't know it was a trick question at the time Mm -hmm. and he said it takes one fence post because that sheep puts her head under that shade and then you got a line of sheep that sit in the shade of that one ahead of them (laughs) Um, of, (laughs) of course you know in part i think he was joking uh and then i also think that that's Pretty accurate, you know. I know another example. Uh, you know, I think a lot of individuals—not that shade isn't important—but we maybe place too much emphasis on it, depending on your environment or uh, you know what your climate is. Had a, a picture sent out to a couple of friends a couple of years ago uh, of just some ewes that nestled themselves down into some some tall fescue uh, that was pretty high. And we're just laying as still as possible, mm-hmm. uh, head flat against the ground, and it's like, oh, what's wrong with you? Why well, walk up to them? They take off running. Yeah. Um, and what was interesting to me is there wasn't a single fly on them. Um, yes. And so that picture I sent was captioned with, you know, the flies don't bite if you just play dead.
0: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: and it you know just fascinating to see those animals working out in that environment um certainly i think there's probably some some more work to be done on the the color side of things we know what happens to cattle with different hide colors Mm -hmm. uh, in different regions of the u.s and and some temperature differences there but uh yeah it's just interesting to watch that grazing behavior out in an open an open warm area yeah i was at a
0: grazing conference Oh, it was back in the 90s, I guess, and they were doing a study with Holsteins to see uh, if color affected milk as far as, you know, them being out on pasture. And, I, and it, a lot of it had to do with, you know, the temperature. And, with uh, red
1: and whites versus your traditional black yeah, Holsteins? It, it,
0: or- I guess cows that were, Holsteins that were more black as compared to having more white. Gotcha. And, uh, the result of the study was that the white ones were a lot easier to find at night. <laughs> That's what they came away with. Right. They just couldn't find a whole lot of difference in that. <clears throat> but I know, like I said, with the sheep using the, the hay wagons, it's, it's worked fine. Um,
1: so how like, many do you really, think you can fit underneath one? What's that? How many can you fit underneath one hay wagon?
0: If you didn't want them there, you could probably get all of them under there. It's, uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, so we've had i guess maybe close to a hundred uh ewes out with lambs and we've used two hay wagons and they didn't no one seemed to be you know crushed in the middle kind of a thing and uh you know as that sun kind of moves that hay wagon starts to cast a bit more of a shade but it was only a few hours in the afternoon and then they're just seem to be back out grazing and like I said it never seemed like everybody was under it and um when it rains the only animals that go under it are the goats they just go under and kind of stick their heads out and, and watch and and behind that we have a, a mineral sled that also has uh we're still running uh 40 gallon water tubs and we can mount two of those water tubs sideways on that sled So we pull that wagon, that sled is chained to the last wagon, and it just comes right along with it.
1: So you hook up one time and you move shelter, mineral, water at one single point in the day Yeah, and and haul those over. And I guess what what time of day are you looking to move those things?
0: We've been moving it, uh, I guess, late in the afternoon, really for two different reasons. Uh, Everything I've read... Uh, Says that the bricks levels are the highest in those grasses in the in the middle of the afternoon, and um,
1: now what's a bricks level?
0: As far as I understand, that's the nutritional level of the sugars that are in that grass.
1: Yeah, it's a sugar measurement.
0: Yeah, and so that's when it's highest is in you know sometime in the afternoon because it's had uh, lots of time to do all that photosynthesis. I guess is what brings that sugar level up. Um, The other part of that too is then just i don't know if there's any research done on it or not but we know parasites move in that dew level and in the mornings that dew is a lot thicker than it is in the afternoon or in the evenings. so we kind of feel like uh if we're moving then and they're coming in to want a pretty hard graze right away uh they're just not picking up as many parasites
1: and they're grazing pretty hard at that afternoon move I mean, would oh, yeah. you say just, just watching behavior at that time of day do they graze at the same intensity or, or speed when you move them in as what they were in that previous paddock it seems like it they're they're just uh hustling through
0: picking all the best stuff you know sheep don't i, I know with the cows they would walk to the furthest fence and then stop put their heads down and start eating and the sheep they just they never stand still they just keep moving around moving around moving around moving around and uh it's always like oh that looks good i'll oh, eat that oh look at that over there oh yeah and they just kind of seem to flip from one plant to the other and we like to tramp a lot of grass down so that's works to that that advantage as well i don't know what happens in the morning when that dew is back on, but a, a good bit of that grass is, is fairly tramped. And you'll see them kind of spread out more in the morning, just picking here and there. But we make that move in the afternoon. I walk to one corner of that fence and yell for them to come and they all come gathering up. You open that gate up and stand back, because here they come.
1: Yeah, I guess my thought or, or question that maybe some other individuals are curious about. So you're trampling that, grass down so obviously we're affecting uh, what we would see as normal growth pattern in our our forage species so i could you explain a little bit on your rest periods kind of what you're shooting for and then um maybe why that is and also on that tramp trampled grass you know grass that you're incorporating onto that soil surface what type of regrowth or timeline of regrowth do you see in those heavily trampled areas?
0: Well, I guess the second part first, the, uh, it is amazing how fast that starts to regrow.
1: Now, do you think it's continued growth or is it new growth from plants that now have an open canopy?
0: It's kind of both. The, uh, it was explained to me that even though that plant is tramped down, that plant is still green. There's still photosynthesis going on. Now, maybe not as much because you've, you know, you've hindered some of the solar panels. But it is crazy how how quickly it, it starts to regrow. And then that trampling down, you're feeding the, the biology in the soil. And you're keeping that soil covered and cool. And that makes a huge difference in it. And when you get, you know, any kind of a rain, I I think even just the dew in the mornings, it's just it's so much more of it is being retained because the sun can't get down through that that trampled down canopy. I I think it's just it's amazing. Now I forgot what the first part of the question was.
1: And you did too. Uh, yes. So your uh, grazing intervals, so your rest periods. And what are you shooting for? And why is that?
0: So we're trying to get as close to 90 days as we can. Um, a lot of people think that's entirely too long. Um, I, I was at a grazing conference in Ohio this winter where the bulk of those sheep producers were all shooting for 30 days because they wanted that. They wanted their sheep on that regrowth. And but those guys were all worming on a regular basis and I couldn't help but think, well, yeah, because you're just constantly putting yourself right in there where you've got a massive parasite pressure. And that's part of that 90 days is uh, we feel like there's a significant reduction in the amount of parasites that have managed to live that, that full 90 days. The other thing too is that the longer you can let grass grow and grow is the important part there because once that dies and, and starts into senes, um I think the bigger root structure you can get on those plants and the bigger root structure you have just the more vigorous regrowth you you end up with
1: yeah longevity of that yes that individual plant
0: mm-hmm. certainly changes
1: and I guess if we explain kind of the mentality or or Thought process behind that thirty-day graze, because um, again, even in that adaptive grazing or whatever you want to call the type of grazing you're involved in or you're researching, there is division within each and every one of those. And oh, so, yeah. you know, those that are grazing at a thirty-day interval or a even shorter interval than that, um, you know, everybody will tell you why there's their method is is the best Uh, and so when we go from i guess the opposing um, argument on the 90 days is as forage matures we lose nutritional value or digestibility because we have increased fiber content um, predominantly as fiber that is not digestible so our our structural portions of that plant, uh, items like lignin that are not highly digestible or or digestible. And the thought process behind that 30-day rotation is we've allowed for regrowth. We should be coming in before the reproductive stages of that plant when that plant starts to lay down those structural uh, contents and we're hitting that uh, or... Able to harvest that forage at a more digestible state. So, ideally, we're capturing more nutrition from that plant for our livestock. Um, You know, certainly if we're grazing lambs, maybe we worry a little bit more about the digestibility of that fiber. You know, the bulk in your scenario, and in a lot of my scenario, when we're grazing, our, our grazing season, what class of animal are you grazing out on that pasture?
0: Yeah, that has an awful lot to do with it. For the most part, there are ewe lambs in there. And those ewe lambs are averaging about a half a pound a day. Of gain? Of gain through most of that, that grazing season. And, and that's fine. That's all I need. I don't need a whole lot more than that you know, they're going to max out. There's no doubt. Um, now, if you've got, you know, lambs that you need to send to the sale at a certain date, or you need to send to a, uh, a butcher at a certain date, then maybe you need to do a 30-day rotation because you need those to gain over half a pound a day.
1: Yeah, I will say on grass, that I'm not saying it's not possible. Uh, half a pound is exceptional. Uh, when we think of kind of average for performance on forage alone that 0.25 to a third of a pound a day tends to be you know what we can see in a good grazing environment
0: yeah the last two years we've been at like 0.46 and 0.47 yeah pounds a gain per day
1: and And there's a lot of things that go into that you know environmental conditions that change that that average daily gain. So, if I have sheep, uh, you know, regardless of breed that are more susceptible to parasites, if I become heavily infected, I'm not partitioning that extra nutrition or I don't have that additional nutrition to fight off that parasite load. Um, or maybe I can fight off that parasite load for survival, but I don't have the additional nutrition, those additional calories to go into growth, you know, to meet my genetic capacity for average daily gain. Mm. Um, and so certainly on those ewe lambs, you know, I'm a, a big advocate on developing those individuals in the environment in which we want them to thrive long term. Um, but certainly do I, do I get concerned over forage quality on my mature ewes when they're open in a maintenance state of productivity, no, I it we need very little going into those sheep uh, for them to gradually gain back body condition mm-hmm. after lactation and going into that breeding season. And honestly, if I can get them, um, obviously I want to be putting weight on them, uh, but if I can keep them in a healthy body condition uh, going into breeding, it certainly opens up some opportunity for flushing those ewes and, and uh, capitalizing on some increased ovulation rates.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think the other thing, you know, I started into this rotational grazing with cows. And um, the first, I'm sure the first year, all I was doing was rotationally overgrazing. But somewhere along the line, I kind of quit paying attention to the cows and started paying more attention to the grass and was trying to do everything I could to make the health of that soil and that and those grass plants taking that into consideration first and foremost Mm -hmm. and what that has done is just produced a heck of a lot more grass and and now you can use the so you're using the animals to manage that grass while keeping an eye on the health and management of the animals but it's you kind of have to get that grass part of it working first, and kind of pay more attention to that. And you don't want animals out there dying, you know. And you don't want them, you know. They, you've got to meet an economic threshold there at some point. But it, it, my argument is, you're not putting dollars into them, you know. You're you're putting time. And uh, you know, I've I've said for years, I can. You know, I could sit in the house and watch Oprah or I can go out and move sheep. Uh, you know, we get all this fence up and there's a good possibility we'll be moving sheep twice a day.
1: Right. You'll still have time to watch Oprah.
0: And I'll still have time to watch Oprah. Right. <laughs> and I think uh, I think I think when we do that, I think we might be able to in, increase that uh, that half a pound, uh, you know, maybe to three quarters of a pound. I don't know. I think they'll uh, they'll just constantly be on better grass. And I think the other part of this too is, you know, when we we pull those those sheep off that pasture, move into the next paddock, mm-hmm. you can reach down and pick that grass up, and it's still you know six, eight, sometimes ten inches tall. You're not uh, you, they're still getting the best of what's in there. They're not uh, they're not grazing down into the the stock that's heavily liquidified. I'm perfectly fine with them taking off, you know, just, just leaves and just nipping the tops of things. And, and, um, and I know there's a lot of talk about weeds that are in pasture. And my argument is if your sheep will eat them, they're not really weeds. With the wagons, we've got a few spots where we still have some broom sedge. And so we tend to park those wagons right on top of those broom set patches. And uh, we figured nothing else, we're probably raising fertility there. And maybe the hoof action and so on is going to knock some of that down. Um, we had a, a hillside that was kind of covered in briars. And the year that I was so sick, CJ kept taking round bales and putting them out there and just letting those cows eat those round bales right where all those briars were. And there's very few briars there now. And uh, we think we could do the same thing with, with sheep as well. You know, part of that is you know I'm sure the hay is helping out in that situation, but so is just having the animals concentrated there. You're just kind of changing the the biology that's in that soil right there.
1: Yeah, I know we've got some areas on that bale feeding, or purposeful you know feeding of of stored forage, for soil fertility purposes. We went through and cleaned out some some fence rows here this spring you know, last fall, and had burn piles and we know what happens in those dead areas where we had yeah. to burn burn stuff and so didn't have a whole lot of option of where we took the piles uh, because I didn't want to spend all day dragging trees you know half a mile away mm-hmm. and so went into it with the thought process of you know we're going to clear this ash off um, you know get it to to grade to the rest of the field and then you know, we've got some compost we're going to put on and the plans to feed Round bales out on those sites uh, specific to where we burnt that brush material, and see what happens. Yeah, uh, just to see if we, how quickly can we improve that soil or fertility where we know, you know, we've we've had some detrimental items happen there. Uh, so, a couple questions on, you know, what you just brought up in terms of you—you know, you mentioned the gain with an additional move. In a day, you feel that you can increase productivity. On the genetic side of things, I know you've shared that you're involved with NSIP and that's a value to you. What are the keys that you look for in selection for your sheep, uh, maybe even outside of NSIP, that provides you the information to say, these lambs are going to perform out on pasture uh, when we we go to rear them on a forage-based diet. Uh, how do you look at, at that genetic selection to increase that growth out on grass?
0: Well, I guess one of the big things we're looking at is parasite resistance in in the rams.
1: So reducing environmental factors.
0: Right. Yeah, because it's, uh, you know, we know that parasite resistance helps not just in, in parasites, but... Uh, just immunity to a lot of other things. They just seem to be just overall healthier lambs. Um, and, you know, we're looking for, for weight gain in those. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd love to be able to find a ram that's highly parasite resistance and and has a you know great uh, post weaning weight EVVs in them. And then uh, we'd like that yearly weight to be pretty flat because we don't want great big giant sheep. But uh I guess phenotypically I'm looking for ewes with really deep bodies because they can just hold that much more that much more forage. We don't want uh, you know, we've got some with really long legs and they're not very tall. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> so they just have that really narrow, I don't know, in cattle we call it depth of rib, you know. So they just, you know, we've got a few that just have that really narrow depth of rib. And, and, uh, you know, down the road, those, those would be some of the ones that will go for sure, because they just can't get enough forage in them. Um, you know, we, we do, oh, about a month before they're going to lamb. you know, we'll, we'll feed them on a, a pound of oats per head per day <clears throat> just to give that, that extra energy in there. But I don't necessarily think you'd have to do that with those deep bodied use. I think they could bring enough forage in.
1: Yeah. And one thing to think about on those those deep-bodied sheep, and you know, you brought it up. I too have some some taller, more narrow-built individuals when we're thinking about skeletal structure. Mm-hmm. And you know, to look at the pen, you tell oh, that sheep bigger than the one over here that's six inches shorter than she is. And one, th- just an animal evaluation standpoint, you know, length and height. Are pretty straightforward when we're thinking two dimensional. Uh, when we start to add that width or that depth, uh, it, it results in capacity. Yeah. And that capacity almost adds an exponential factor to weight capacity mm-hmm. um, or what those animals weigh. So I know I have shorter, both in height and length, individuals in my flock that. Again, to look at just from a two dimensional side view, you would say, oh, they're they're smaller animals that actually weigh more than those that maybe have additional air underneath them um, just because they don't carry that width and and capacity, the ability to hold weight um, in them. So when we're thinking about body weight, you know, the big thing is, you know, ties into marketing, uh, but also maintenance of that animal what we have to feed 12 months out of the year and so that's for for our flock uh, I pay a lot of attention to mature body weight uh, because again she's rearing that lamb for 60 to 90 days and I'm happy to provide the nutrition to her to assist with lactation and uh, in, in rearing those lambs but the other however many months out of the year, I'd rather feed less to accomplish maintenance in a smaller animal than one that's much larger, requiring additional maintenance requirements, uh, just due to body weight. Yeah. you know, Just staying alive uh, requires more in those, tends to require more in those individuals. Um, I
0: notice in those narrow body ewes, they will lose body conditions so much faster than those, those deeper ewes. And uh, I my guess is just because they cannot get as much in them, you you have to feed a I guess a, a higher calorie concentration of, of whatever they're eating. Just that yeah, they just have to have more calories in it. Where it seems like the others, that's not such such a big deal because they can take enough in of uh, lower caloric feed. I guess
1: yeah. So if we get back to grazing here, you, know, you mentioned trample that forage down. So I'm assuming you then reduce the need or requirement to mow after you move those sheep out of that paddock.
0: Yeah, we do, we do very little mowing. Mowing has a lot to do with, uh, you know, you want the place to look nice kind of a thing. Um, you know, we there's pastures we haven't mowed for quite a while. And you can tell because they've got some all four rows in. And uh, so those are, some of those are going to be, they'll get clipped this year and kind of, and, and then when we do uh, run a brush hog over them, just kind of clean them up, we're mowing pretty high. We're not down there, you know, clipping everything. We're just knocking the stuff off that's, you know, six, eight inches above and that's it. Uh, when I come up to those multiple rose bushes, I kind of grab the lever and sink her right down to the dirt and <laughs> back up again. But, uh but you can see those patches all summer long that grass is so much shorter and it's just because you you cut them too short uh, all the grass that was around that model floor rose, and um, and I imagine its sloughed off a bunch of its roots and therefore it has to search harder to find nutrients and, and moisture and it can in each one of those individual plants but it's uh yeah we, you always like you always want the place to look nice, but you know, like I remember years ago, we had a oh I can't remember it was El Nino or La Nina, whatever it was, where it rained every three days, and we were still you know making hay. And I had a, a gal who who bought about five thousand bales of hay from us a year, and she let it be known in the community that she didn't want any hay off my farm because it was just too old looking. And, uh, but when he went out and walked through that, there was a lot of good green stuff down in the bottom. And when we went in and mowed some of those fields off to make them for hay, bales look beautiful. And I took her some of that hay up without telling her that she came off those brown fields. She thought it looked, you know, fantastic, but it is that, uh, so like you say, we, we don't worry too much about it just being this beautiful pastoral looking, you know, kind of a place. We just worry about more what's what's there. When you 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 know, they always say you you can't evaluate your field from a pickup truck. You know, you gotta get out and walk through it and see what's there. And so from a distance, you look out and you see some raggedy looking plants here and there, and it's not all uniform and all pristine. But when you walk through it, you're like, man, there is a lot of stuff in here. A lot of good stuff growing.
1: Yeah, and I definitely grew up grew up on a farm that, you know, what you said, it you're mowing because You know, we need to either a control those weeds through mechanical uh, Mm -hmm. through mechanical means and also from the road. You know, there's value, um, you know, looking at those those sites and you want that pastoral type view. Uh, And so that was primarily it was weed control with a lot of items and uh, And by the
0: time most people get out and mow,
1: those weeds have already
0: set seed. You didn't get ahead of them.
1: Oh, right, right. But you can't see the ironweed once it's cut. No. not saying it won't come back, but again, it goes back to appearance. Mm -hmm. Um, And so growing up, you know, that was just not that we mowed after every pass, uh, but you'd go out and clean stuff up once, maybe twice a year. Uh, And so more recently, you know, with the, the expansion of the sheep side of the business the bush hog has seen very little use yeah uh, and, and it kind of was um, eye-opening as we started transition from those weather type sheep into a production oriented commercial flock mm-hmm. uh, you know you start to evaluate the time and and maintenance on that equipment and um what that time can be spent doing other things uh you know again with a more rotational pattern of of movement um, you know the first thing to me the, I guess the convincing item was turn those ewes out and immediately they'd go straight for the burdock mm-hmm. and cleared everything off before while it was still in a vegetative state yeah and we move them over to another field and you know they strip strip the leaves of what they could reach uh, on ironweed yeah mm-hmm. um, And so and maybe that's another discussion for another day, because I know we're running short on time here. But, you know, we've actually utilized those sheep to manage some fence rows with some very woody growth. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in the process of converting established, I guess, quote unquote, established wooded area into some silvopasture that we hope to utilize those sheep in clearing up what's remaining after we did some it's a machine work down in there Uh, but certainly it can change your opinion going from I guess it's not a it was a learning curve for you know both myself and and those that are that are on that farm um, that you have to change the lens in which you're looking at that grassland that Mm -hmm. pasture environment Um, and so it yeah it it looks very different now uh, and I think you can find beauty or or value in the view you see now as well as that that you know it was a different lens we looked through um you know four or five years ago, so you know, there's always time to to change that and try something different and guess what if we hate it and we need to mow something the bush hog's still sitting there it just sees very little use now, yeah, that's the truth of it
0: well, we're running up on our time here, cam, so uh. We thank you for listening to another episode of the Grazing Sheep podcast. If uh, there's something you'd like us to talk about or you just want to reach out and, and get in touch with us, uh, you can do that at bigtomperkins at gmail.com. So it's good catching up with you, Cam.
1: You too, Tom.
0: All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. bye. Bye.